This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, I'll be talking with Logan Mullaney, president of InQuick USA, about the innovative InQuick Bridge System, the system's global expansion and the future of bridge construction. I'm your host, Matt McArdle. And before we get started, here's a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a Kaplan company. This episode of the Structural Engineering Channel is brought to you by PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the PE Structural Exam. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the PE Structural Exam the first time. PPI's PE Structural course is fully updated and taught with October 2021 code references and includes new editions of their PE Structural books. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. When you take a live online course, PPI guarantees you will pass or you can take the on-demand course for free. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all of the resources available for PE structural exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. Logan, thanks for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey from the early days at InQuick Australia and then becoming the president of InQuick USA? Yeah, so thanks, Matt. And the, it's been a really interesting journey for us. We we ended up actually stumbling across this innovation. and It was something that we didn't set out to design a, a new method of, of reinforced concrete construction or a bridge system. We, we were actually in modular uh, housing and, and building buildings and we, we came up with a range of innovations and one sort of turned into another and then we, we sort of thought, oh, hang on a sec, like this could actually be utilized for, for you know, bridges and, and structures. And so we ended up uh, taking this innovation and we, we it worked with one of the, the big engineering firms in Australia a company called SMEC, uh, and and they worked with us to to get it to a point that we could actually do a demonstration. And and so um, it was my my father, uh, my uncle, and I. Uh, yeah, we all worked really quite heavily on this, and and we built a, a demonstration on a property back in 2016. And I think it was like the the day before we were about to pour the concrete. I. I I sort of said to my dad, I was like, look, you know, what happens if this whole thing falls down, you know? And, and so we, we put in place like a range of little innovations, you know, a little, little innovations to, to sort of manage that. And um, it was actually sort of saved our butt having these, these um, contingency measures in place because we're not engineers and, and we're just thinking about it, you know, from, from practical terms, we, we are in the construction sector, but yeah. So we, we came up with this system and, and then we made, did a demonstration of it. 
and then we then we went to market and and as we went to market we started to see a, a lot of interest in in the, the methodology that, that we developed and and it just grew from there we you know we had some a, a few staff initially and then it, it just grew out and and we got to the point where you know we built we built over 200 bridges around the world and and uh, the system's been ranked as the number one uh, bridge system in several different reports, and it's it's been a yeah, quite a wild uh, a wild journey to say the least. Yeah, and for our listeners that may not be familiar with it, Inquik is a bridge system, and from what I read up on it, it seems pretty cool. Could you explain what it is and how it differs from traditional bridge building methods? Yeah, so the. A lot of bridges that are built with reinforced concrete, they're typically built using uh, like fully cast on site methods, whether you, you prop your formwork and you you put all your rebar in position and so on. And the other uh, option, which is also uh, very often used, is pre-casting of concrete, and it's, it's a massive segment of the market. And uh, there's pros and cons of both options, like. The on-site casting, you've got a very, very good finished product. It's all one mass of concrete. You don't have any joints, and you know you can create like fully monolithic structures in a rural bridges. Whereas, um, you know, with precast, you end up with with um, the benefits of off-site fabrication and the quality control, and you know some shorter time on site. But you end up with a lot of joints. You end up with having issues with transportation. Uh, you know, lifting the elements in place is very heavy. And so what our system is and what the Inquik system is, is we essentially prefabricate the formwork and the reinforcement into modular components. So we take these components and we, we fabricate them in the shop. Now, a 40-foot unit, which is 8-foot wide, it only weighs 9,000 pounds. And so, so these elements are so light, whereas if they were full of concrete, you know, you're talking like 60,000 pounds. And so yeah. you, can, you can bring those in easily you can install it with an excavator and the fact that all the formwork's already done and all the rebar's already tied there's a little bit of tying to do on site but it means that local skills can install the bridge there's a lot less quality control on site and it just reduces a, a lot of different risks and so so yeah essentially we take the formwork and reinforcement and we we prefabricate it in a shop and install it on site, fill it with concrete in position. So we provide the abutments, the bent caps, the deck units, like everything from above the foundation we take in that sort of prefabricated uh, process. Yeah, it seems like it's, uh, what's pretty cool to me about it was it's essentially almost like modular design in terms of the speed where it's the metal formwork and then you have the rebar cages in there. So all they have to do on site is essentially drop the rebar cages, the formwork, so the abutments, the bridge deck, and then they just pour the concrete. And mm. then it's, it's, I imagine it's, it's really quick, right? Because I've, I've done with modular construction for buildings and the speed of those things is, uh, yeah, it's, it's quick in days. And I think that's what's really cool about these types of things. Like you were saying, yeah, the, the lifts, the, the cranes that they need not a lot, not those big heavy cranes because what they're less than 9,000 pounds, essentially just a rebar cage and some formwork and then attach it all together. And then boom, it's, it's, you got a bridge in a matter of days. Yeah, no, look, it's, it's exactly right. And, uh, and we have had bridges that have, that have been built 
from the time they, they got to site to demolish the existing bridge to the point that they opened the road up you know, in, in five to seven days. And so, you know, like a, a closure of something like that. And, and we're not talking about bringing in like 50 people to, to build that. We're talking about like there's three three or four people working on that site. And, um, you know, so with, with the advancements in, you know, different concrete and, and higher, higher strength gain or higher early strength concretes, it enables you to condense that timeline down even further. And so there are still some advancements that are needed to manage the durability of, of those high early strength concretes, but but it does enable you to to potentially one day you'll see a, a e-quick bridge get replaced in 24 hours and uh, they'll be using these, these high early strength concretes. <laughs> yeah, and structure-wise, it's still a monolithic concrete bridge. The formwork is sacrificial, correct? So yes. It's it's essentially the same design as a concrete bridge, except the construction is a lot faster and, and easier to assemble and construct. And I know the the pain with the formwork in traditional methods, that's it's a big pain point for contractors. So just getting rid of all that. Yes. Yeah. And uh and, and I guess to that to that exact point. So the the way that we actually carry um, the wet concrete weight, which is essentially the biggest innovation behind the system, is we don't use the formwork to carry the concrete. And and I th- you sort of get, get your head around that. We actually use the reinforcing steel. So the, the within the permanent structure, you'll have reinforcing steel in the girders. And and what we do is we incorporate a truss into the the reinforcing in those girders and and when we fabricate it we actually weld uh, a truss into it and we put a camber into the beam when we fabricate it and then the formwork is hung off the reinforcing and so because there's a camber we have to segment up the formwork because otherwise you couldn't lift the camber up into the steel and what happens is that the concrete weight pushes down on the formwork the formwork load is transferred back up through some bolts that that go back up into the rebar, and then the rebar transfers all that weight to the ends of the of the truss, which is sitting on top of the abutment. So, it's um it's a very simple method. The truss is actually disregarded in its permanent state, so it's just treated as a reinforced concrete structure, and it enables you to also get some some additional benefits, which which are pretty cool. And I'll sort of talk on that a little bit later. Yeah, that's a yeah, I didn't know about that one. That that's actually pretty cool. So you're not relying on the metal the the metal deck to support it. It's and I'm guessing that because you didn't want to put any additional supports, right? For I don't know, thirty or forty foot span, you don't want to put uh, shoring underneath it. So in order for it to span that, you're actually using the reinforcing cage attached to the, the metal deck and you're actually using the steel reinforcing for for two methods for or for two conditions the as built when when the concrete's still wet and then when it's finally done you can it can take the the, the typical bridge loads so mm, yeah yeah two and one yeah that's yeah cool. yeah that's that's exactly right and and when you when you think about that an engineer said to me once like looking at the reason why no one had really come up with a design around this before he he felt that when you go to you know you go to university to, to learn structural engineering and when you go through reinforced concrete reinforcement 
is for tension, concrete is for compression. And everything you do is, you know, is very simple. You know, tension is the only method of, you know, reinforcing and compression for concrete. And the fact that we actually utilize steel for tension and compression during, you know, the construction phase is, is where it sort of creates a, a little bit of a mismatch because it's, you know, when you, when you are doing the calculations, it's, it's not something that has ever been really considered. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's quite, uh, quite interesting when you think about it that way. And yeah, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced in, in commercializing and developing the, the bridge system? I know you, you can't just go from, oh, we got this cool idea. Yeah, let's just sell it and let's just uh, let's let's just make a business. I know it's more complicated than that. What was that? What was that journey like for you? Look, it was. It took a lot of a lot of picking yourself back up um, and really finding the people that see the value in what in what you're doing. And I guess when you sell products to engineers, it's not like selling it to us a, a consumer who might be you know easily persuaded like engineers are the most conservative <laughs> especially structural engineers you know <laughs> the most conservative i think consumer that you could ever imagine and and so coming into the market with with the system and and actually showing people the technology it was it made sense. Like they'd, they'd see, they'd see it. They go, "Look, it's just a reinforced concrete bridge. It's it's the way that we used to do things, and it's it's what we're used to." So we ended up raising um, some of those barriers because because of purely that. Whereas if we sort of said, "Look, you know, we've just come up with this brand new fiber that's made from grass, um, and we're trying to replace reinforcing bars," you know, it, it's a long shot. But because we're we're selling something that they're very used to, they can do all the calculations for it. It's not new technology. It was very, um, you know, much more willing. But what I will say though is that, and I'll use this as a, as an example of the issues you face getting into a market. Is no one wants to be the first. No one wants to to be the first to put their head out and says, "Oh, you know." And and I've got a funny story. We we ended up actually building a bridge with the county and the director from the county saw the system and we hadn't built a commercial bridge yet and he said look this is on a private development and uh, it was a sporting complex and they said look i really like the system and i want to be pushing for new innovation etc and there was a structural engineer whose name was dave who was part of uh, the project and the whole process dave was just like constantly like oh i'm not you know i don't think it's that good like I, i'm not very supportive of it all this sort of thing and and like at the towards the end of the project i said to him i said so dave are you happy are you happy with this project and he says that look I, I probably wouldn't use another one and i sort of said why you know he said oh like you know he came up with some silly reasons anyway fast forward about 18 months and we were at this conference and we had around 30 people that were out in the front of our booth and um and someone had come over and just gone wow this is amazing this is like what an amazing technology he says i've got to tell my mate i've got to tell my friend and and so he walks off and he brings over this person and and it was dave <laughs> and i was sitting there and i was like oh no like here comes here comes you know grumpy dave and um and then his friend goes to me goes mate this this is an amazing system i can't believe uh I've never seen this before. Have you seen it? And Dave turns around and goes, have I seen it? Mate, I was one of the first. 
<laughs> so, so you do a 180 <laughs> it's like oh yeah i, I was definitely uh yeah, yeah. one of the first people to do yeah, it yeah <laughs> i i shook my head i couldn't believe that he's just turned around and, and actually sort of promoted himself as as having been a pioneer in trialing this new technology now that you know and yeah so he's a pioneer <laughs> oh, no truth be told he was he was not but uh yeah so look when you are going into market with a new product you've you've got to understand you know yeah what what challenges you're going to be up against and and um and it will take time you've you know unfortunately you can't lie in engineering like and people want to see proof and and all that sort of thing yeah i could imagine that i know for us in the the building design industry when when there's when a contractor requests something new it is everyone's in the office goes hey i've never seen this before (laughs) has anyone used this it looks like it works and then yeah what what we do is um, maybe you've run into this is they ask for all the reports, mm. ICC reports, uh, whatever reports that they need. We need all of that to, yeah, all the stuff that you need to convince uh, a structural engineer to, um, well, yeah, they're eventually going to stamp it. So it makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, we need all that. Then, yeah. And I can imagine getting that, that first, right, with new technology. It's someone who just need that one person or that one project to, to get it going to to show that hey it was actually built and then i imagine you could build your momentum off that i feel that that first one is yeah. is the tough one but in saying that gets going after that yeah in saying that though matt like what i find really interesting is you know we built we built 200 bridges out of the united states but then when you go to sell it in the United States, it's like, well, if it didn't happen here, it never happened. <laughs> and, uh, like a really lo- a local yeah, area. Yeah. Right? You know? And I sort of say to them, I was like, look, you know, you do realize that airplanes can be made in other countries and just fly over and, and land in, in a country. Uh, it's the same with our bridges. You know, we can fly our bridges over and it'll still work here. Um, but, you know, some people have their own, you know, micro concerns. Yeah, related to that one. So starting off in Australia and then going to the U.S. and then even doing some projects in the U.S. I know in California, well, what we do is, okay, yeah, it worked in a, a non-seismic zone, but how does it deal with, with earthquakes? Yeah. That, that's, yeah. That's, what we, that's, that's our thing in California. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. It worked over there in the east or the Midwest. Uh, what about earthquakes? Mm. So then, yeah, how, how do you adapt to the, these different geographic uh environment and environmental conditions that that's different not just in australia but in the u.s as well yeah like any engineer right like you look at what the load cases are for those locations and and understand what you know considerations need to be made to to have a suitable uh design and one of the strategies we took early on with our design was standardizing it with a very broad use case so instead of saying okay well look we've got these two load ratings and you know we've got these types of thermal um, conditions we've got to consider and and these types of flood levels and hydraulic loads that that we'll consider we just sort of thought look let's just do it to 95 percent of the use cases on day one so we you know lifted the design up to a point where 
in some instances it might not be as economical but it's better for us to provide a premium product over us constantly re-engineering it and trying to refine it to meet a lower use case and so you know in Australia, we have a, a load capacity which is substantially higher than what we have in, in North America. Um, there are other issues that happen with North America, you know, like the, the thermal conditions uh, in, you know, like upstate New York as an example. And and then again, you've got your, your seismic requirements. And so we, you know, have designed the system to be able to be used in seismic areas and and the only real limitations are going to be on potential issues around detailing. So you might find that we can't do an integral abutment in a high seismic area because of the liquefaction and, you know, and you might end up breaking that connection. And, and um, one of the things that was quite interesting about that is we've learned so much from a lot of different road authorities around the world as we've been, um, you know, expanding. And and in New Zealand, as an example, uh, New Zealand's got some of the highest seismic codes in the world and oh, yeah. uh, our system's suitable for use in, in New Zealand. And we, we actually found out that a lot of integral abutments, when they do the design, they actually design it with no additional capacity through the integration because if you consider that moment uh, connection at the you know the abutment and in a seismic event it breaks you will compromise your structure and uh, and so that's actually been the approach that we've taken since day one if whenever we use an integral abutment we never consider the moment capacity uh, you know from that connection because it allows us to use the same deck unit that integral or simply supported and it also means it simplifies your foundation design because you don't have to consider you know the, the addition capacity in your pile but uh it's um yeah it, it's look it's, it's definitely been interesting trying to understand all the little nuances around it all and and it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all but it we've tried to take approach of a one-size-fits-most and and if we need to make some adjustments we can yeah, I think that's one of the the challenges of the industry where I think your approach is sounds like we're going to these different regions, whatever's the the worst case for the most part, we'll see if we can do that to as our default if it makes sense uh, economically and and there's still going to be probably some special cases where maybe a local jurisdiction or a specific code that you just might have to do like mm. a custom more custom solution for those, but hopefully most of them can get it covered seismic zones non-seismic zones thermal yeah 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 i just know learning even just the american building code and then going into all these different countries with their building codes as well as like, oh man yeah i have a friend that's doing that that's that's international and he was telling me about all of the the different codes that he's learning like each code is different uh you know like the uk and and india and australia but I think the, the same yeah. concept, but there's always those small little details that you need to know about for that system. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And and look, there is, uh, interestingly, and, and, and rightly so, there, there has been quite a standardized approach when it comes to roadway infrastructure and the bridge codes that have been adopted. So you do find like a lot of, a lot of Asia, a lot of Southeast Asia and things, they do use the Ashto bridge code. And, and even Australia, we actually use the ASTO 
barrier uh, compliance requirements. And, you know, and, and so a lot of codes have, have instead of reinventing your wheel every time, they've, they've somehow, you know, taken pieces out of others. And, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a minefield for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even with local jurisdictions that I'm sure maybe you found out where like a, a city, yeah. <laughs> they have a particular thing that they don't want to move yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's why it's hard to modulize some of these building systems. Uh, even for for housing, for example, modular housing, modular units. Yeah, it's that's why I think that's why it's tough to do it in the construction industry because you have so many moving parts, so many local jurisdictions. But when it works, mm. it works. I know you've also did some university uh, collaborated with universities. Could you tell us more about that? The research projects that you did, and how has that influenced the evolution of of the Inquik? Yeah. It's been really interesting doing academic research into the system. And like I explained to you at the start of the, the conversation, like we came up with this innovation that, that is yeah, very unique. We've got a truss carrying the wet concrete weight. We've got the formwork uh, that's surrounding that. And, you know, is there any composite action between the formwork and the the concrete? You know, trying to look at, you know, what benefits the formwork has to the concrete and the, the design life of the concrete because one of the projects we did was actually around the benefits of leaving the formwork in place to slow the curing process <laughs> of the concrete because a lot of people, you know, believe that concrete, the quicker it goes off, the the more durable it is and, you know, these <laughs> completely, uh, you know, irrational ideas. And but the what we found through one of the research projects was that you know the formwork because it encapsulates the the concrete it stops the moisture from escaping and so when concrete cures you get you know autogenous drying uh, which is the chemical reaction uh, within the concrete and and then you've got the air drying effect and and so air drying is obviously the the gassing off or the the atmosphere sucking the moisture out of the concrete can give you a lot larger shrinkage and creep over time than what the autogenous drying shrinkage could be. So when we're doing these these uh, academic uh, reviews in the system, we're sort of understanding like, hang on a second, the, the actual formwork can reduce the long-term creep and shrinkage. It slows the curing process down so you actually get a stronger concrete over time. And one of the, the projects was you know, focused on looking at uh, the different concerns or considerations around fatigue and welding of the reinforcing. You know, because people, you know, some, some engineers sort of say, well, look, you're going to have fatigue issues uh, with your reinforcing because you're structurally welding it to the, to the truss. And how does that impact uh, the long-term design life? And and so then we you know, did a lot of modeling around that and and then in the field testing and so on and so forth to just qualify that it's not a concern. Like the, you know, the the processes that we use, the way that the steel has improved over time, as you know, we can demonstrate that that it's not a concern, but but still like we were saying just before, like there's so many different codes out there that have different requirements. And so you've got to try to fit within their requirements, even if you think they're wrong. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah. we spend a lot of time demonstrating why codes are wrong and why they should be rewritten. 
and uh, and I'll tell you now, independent academic research paper does a lot more than a paid consultant, uh, you know, report. <laughs> because I look at the paid consultant report and go, hang on a second, you know, you paid those guys, whereas, you know, the academic bodies more so independent. Um, so, yeah, look, we've done a range of research and development over the over time and and it's really played a big part in our overall success in the market by just demonstrating through not only the reports but uh, you know full scale testing that the system is what it, we say it is and um, and there are times as well like the the modeling that was completed by by some of the universities highlighted areas that our engineers had actually had a little bit of an oversight on and and then we were able to sort of integrate those changes back into our design as well and and just to make sure that we had an even better finished product yeah it's with the engineers, it's yeah, that's the things with codes, right? It's it may say something, and then sometimes it's up to interpretation. What was the intent of that code? Well, we're using it differently than the way the code intended, and then yeah, if you get stuck with the jurisdiction, all right, give me a test. <laughs> you got to go through the testing. So yeah, I know that's that sounds tough in terms of it's not just oh you got a cool product. Go do it. No, you got to go through all of these, especially with different jurisdictions. That Yeah. But it, but it seems to be paying off. Uh, once you got all the test reports, then you got those use cases out there. People are more comfortable using it. Contractors yeah. like it. So, yeah, it seems pretty cool. And I wanted to ask some questions about the, I guess, how does that work? And with, in the field of structural engineering, I know you kind of mentioned it during the research, but uh, is this a case where I'm guessing you have your in, in-house engineers and then they design it, but then they have a special, maybe some of the special detailing that you mentioned before that they may have overlooked from that research and then they're, they're engineering that. How does that impact the, I guess, the field of, of structural engineering? Yeah, look, when you look at changing tradition, I guess is is one of the, the ways that we sort of put it. You've, you're needing to think outside the box you're needing to look at doing much more advanced you know finite element analysis on structures rather than you know just doing a simple you know um, off the head calculation and so we you know we definitely see that when we go out with a technology like ours and and we're sharing the process that we've gone through from an engineering standpoint and and we get a lot of different advice from people like people highlight things that we never even thought about you know people have their you know have differing opinions on on things but it i really see that there is a willingness within the industry to look at new innovations to really try to harness becoming more resilient in our infrastructure having more uh, cost-effective options in the construction of of different pro you know, projects, and it's not like we're getting more and more structural engineers year on year. It's like it's you know, there's so many different industries that are fighting for for really great talent, and uh, and so it's important for the whole sector to embrace new technologies and to and you sort of go back to that modular approach, like. When you can design a bridge by taking an off-the-shelf design 
having an automated back end so that you can, you know, almost design the same bridge over and over again, it just enables so much more efficiency in the sector, which means that we can deliver on more projects, which means that you know, we can be more efficient on our time. The people that are uh, engaged in the design can actually do some exciting stuff and and not necessarily just be working on some, you know, simple calculations over and over again. So, you know, um, you know I, I just feel that the segment uh, we're seeing a lot more you know, youthful and excitable engineers coming into the field. And and I, I feel quite excited for, for what's yet to come. Yeah, thanks for that, Logan. I know it's, we are pretty slow in the AEC industry, uh, architecture, engineering, construction industry. And yeah, I think that's, whole, I think one of the, whenever there's new innovations coming around, yeah, it's, it's tough to get it in there because of all I'm sure that you've seen <laughs> talking about it, all these, all these hoops that you need to go through uh, versus maybe the tech industry where they just do some new software and then we'll figure out the legislation later for that type of AI. Or what. <laughs> it's like they, they do it first and then they'll figure out the restrictions later. But in the construction industry, I, since there's so many players, I think that, uh, players and legislations that you have to get through, I think it makes it a lot t- uh, tougher. So uh, I think you've demonstrated that, you know, with, with all the, the things that you've overcome, yeah. innovations can happen. Hopefully it's, it's, it becomes less of an obstacle in the future <laughs> for, 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 for new innovations, because yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We do need to come up with more non-traditional, more, more innovative ways to construct, design, mm-hmm. engineer, because I think as an industry, yeah, I think we need that. And it'll make it more exciting for uh, young engineers, uh, young people in construction to, to yeah. get more excited about it. I completely so. agree. And finally, Logan, do you have any final advice to structural engineers, maybe future contractors looking to make an impact in the field of structural engineering? Or, or yeah, Matt, I've got, I've got a pretty, yeah, some pretty good advice there. I, Having come into this sector with an innovation that was uh, like by accident, you know, like our, our journey's been quite unique in in all of this. But I feel like the biggest thing I've learned is understanding who is around you and what their drivers are is so important because when you go and, and you want to make an impact on engineering or construction or, or anything, right? And you go to one of your peers and you say, you know, like, oh, look, hey, I, I just want to do this. You need to know what do they want? What are their interests? What are their drivers? Because as soon as you go to someone with an idea or someone, you know, with with a, a, something that might be new, they might be looking at, at the job going, look, we're losing money on this, you know, or I'm tired, I've got, you know, issues at home or whatever it is, and they might dismiss you. And and I think what's really important is to, if you want to make a difference, you have to take a strategic approach about how you're going to be successful and how you're going to win. And like, because it's like trying to get a promotion in a job. Like it's the it's the person that they're always looking at as the that's doing the, the big things and whatever it is that's the one that gets the promotions never the one that just puts their head down just works hard <laughs> and, uh, so you know yep. so, so yeah I I think it's just really like you've got to understand the field that you're in 
what you're up against. Because if you surround yourself by people that are similar minded, that want to make a difference, that are innovative, that are really trying to, you know, trying to push like whether or not it's carbon reduction stuff or whether or not it's creating like, you know, 3D printers, you know, methods of construction or, or whether or not it's, you know, new materials. Like if you if you're with people that are stuck in, in you know, hundred years ago, you're never gonna get it done. So, you know, understand who you who you're up against and and put yourself in the right spot and then you'll be successful. Yeah, great advice. I knowing what other people want if when you're trying to con- to do something new is like, yeah, I want to do this, but I know you want to do this too. So this can help you in an X way versus just uh, hey, here's what I want, and it's only me. Versus, hey, I'm doing something. It's going to benefit you, and it's going to benefit others in the industry, mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on what they want, right? And yeah, surrounding yourself with with the with the type of people that have that similar mindset. Where I can imagine how hard it would be if you were surrounded by people that, hey, I want to do something. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I, 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 you're never going to get that done, man. I and mean, if you're yeah. around that every single day. I could see how innovation can die really fast. Yeah, yeah. No, like we've we've definitely had many situations. I've met thousands and thousands of engineers since I've got into this, and and when I come up against someone who I'm like, yeah, look, this guy's never going to change. That's, I just pivot, you know, just go go around them and, and keep going. And uh, so yeah, it's uh, you know for us to continue to innovate in in the, the space for us to really drive forward into into new realms it, it takes uh pioneers it takes people that are going to pull their you know pull their socks up and work hard and and, and be prepared to hear other people say no because if you think everyone's going to say yes you know don't don't start <laughs> absolutely yeah the resilience and the tenacity mm. that you have to go through but all you need is that mm. that one one yes from yeah. versus all the hundreds of no's. Uh, so definitely respect you for that and the the tenacity that you went through to to show that we can innovate in the construction industry. So thanks a lot. Yeah, Luke. great. Really thanks so much for your time, Matt. And um, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Uh, yeah, you too. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources or websites mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors.